For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. Good morning. (coughs) Can you all hear me? So this is uh, July 4th weekend, and I'm going to talk today about Independence Day or Interdependence Day, Interconnectedness Day, which I think of as an American Buddhist holiday. And every year I talk about the American ideal of freedom and its complementary Buddhist idea of liberation and bodhisattva principles. So the United States ideal includes freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom from government oppression. Slogan for the American Revolution that led to the Declaration of Independence was no taxation without representation. So the colonists did not want to be taxed by King George since they weren't represented in the parliament. Does everyone feel like you're represented in the American government now? Rhetorical question. Uh, Buddhist liberation, complementary, is freedom from self-grasping, freedom from seeing outside objects and grabbing at outside objects separate from us to acknowledge interconnectedness, interconnection, interdependence. Buddhist liberation means enjoying and expressing possibilities of wholeness and healing. We enact that through Sangha, through community. On the 4th of July, my responsibility as a bodhisattva clergy is to speak about our country from the perspective of bodhisattva values, from ethical values. So I feel obligated to speak difficult truths, and I'll wait till the siren passes. So, we must speak of difficult, painful truths in this crucial, chaotic time. So, I have a lot to say, (laughs) try and get it all in. I also hope to speak about positive, hopeful aspects of Interdependence Day. So, I'll start with this Dogen quote from his extensive record that I've been uh, repeating a lot. The family style of all Buddhas and ancestors is to first arouse the vow to save all living beings by removing suffering and providing joy. Only this family style is inexhaustibly bright and clear. So our function as Zen practitioners is to remove suffering, provide joy. 
this is our family tradition as Buddhists. I'll repeat the next part of what Dogen says. In the lofty mountains, we see the moon for a long time. As clouds clear, we first recognize the sky. Cast loose down the precipice, the moonlight reflected in the stream shares itself with the 10,000 forms. Even when, even when climbing up the bird's path, taking good care of yourself is spiritual power. So we need to take care of ourselves and to take care of each other and express this awareness we taste in Zazen. For all beings. So thinking about the 4th of July, I used to quote Tom Jefferson a lot. He was a great writer, but uh, I no longer think of him as a hero. He owned and fathered slaves, and through the Louisiana Purchase, he spread genocide of Native Americans. But he, but he said some good things that represent the ideals that America has never quite lived up to. He, quote, vowed eternal hostility against every form of tyranny over the human mind. This is a good Bodhisattva saying. He said, the price of liberation is ongoing vigilance. Great slogan for Zazen. Actually, he said the price of liberty is eternal vigilance, but um, I'm paraphrasing slightly. He also said in the early 1800s, I hope we crush in its birth the aristocracy of our moneyed corporations, which dare already to challenge our government to a true trial by strength and bid defiance to the laws of our country. That was in the early 1800s. Now, Money corporations rule our governments. By politicians, they control our governments, especially the fossil fuel corporations, the weapons corporations, the pharmaceutical corporations, and others. Someone else I think of to quote is Frederick Douglass. Later, in 1852, on July 5th, he gave a talk, What to the Slaves is the Fourth of July? speech was given at the Rochester Ladies Anti-Slavery Association. It's a very long talk. I'm going to give just a few brief excerpts. Um, so Douglas, Frederick Douglass had been a slave, but had been freed and was a leading abolitionist. This address was, of course, before the Civil War, before the Emancipation Proclamation, before Juneteenth, when slaves were finally supposedly freed. So he said in part, what have I or those I represent to do with your national independence? Are the great principles of political freedom and of natural ju justice embodied in that declaration of independence extended to us? Speaking for the slaves. The character and conduct of this nation never looked blacker to me than on this 4th of July. Do I need to argue that it is wrong? to make men brutes, to rob them of their liberty, to work them without wages, to keep them ignorant of their relations to their fellow men and beings, to beat them with sticks, to flay their flesh with lash, to load their limbs with irons, to hunt them with dogs, to sell them at auction, 
to sunder their families, to knock out their teeth, to burn their flesh, to starve them into obedience and submission to their masters. This was what slavery was like in 1852. Douglas continued, the conscience of the nation must be roused. The propriety of the nation must be startled. The hypocrisy of the nation must be exposed and its crimes must be proclaimed and denounced. This, this, there is not a nation on the earth guilty of practices more shocking and bloody than are the people of these United States at this very hour. So again, he said that in 1852, 170 years ago. Now, 2022, we still have mass incarceration in which prisoners, very disproportionately black, are forced to work for little or no wages, akin to slavery. Now we have murders of unarmed black people after traffic stops by police. I saw that there was somebody, a black man in Toledo, who was shot 60 times by the police this week. Now white supremacy terrorism is supported by many politicians. A new Illinois congressperson said after the Supreme Court abolition of Roe v. Wade, this is a great day for white lives. So now we are in an age of multiple crises. Along with the racist attacks like in Buffalo, democracy is under serious threat from politicians who support avowed fascists. White supremacy terrorists, including and by white supremacy terrorists. This includes massive voter suppression schemes enhanced by the Supreme Court and probably soon to be enhanced on steroids. January 6, 2021, we came very close to a coup and right-wing takeover of our government. This threat is ongoing. The January 6th hearings by Congress are very important. I encourage you to watch them, understand what is happening, not just what happened on January 6th, but what continues to happen. We also have climate catastrophes everywhere. There's record heat in the Southwest, cold Arctic areas have had record heat. Permafrost is melting, methane released. Climate catastrophes around the world most damaging to minorities and oppressed people, black people in this country, indigenous people everywhere around the world, and to our natural world, forests and rivers are, in threat, are threatened, creating major food shortages and mass migrations. So there's a whole lot more to be said about the climate, climate catastrophes, but I'll come back to that a little bit. We're waiting again for the silence. We are sitting in the midst of this world of difficulties. We're also threatened by United States militarism and war profiteers who are increasing nuclear weapons in the danger of nuclear war. The Ukraine war is difficult. The Russian invasion is horrible. 
but our government is making it harder to come to some peace there. 53% or more of the United States annual national budget, it's probably more now, goes to the military. More than 20 companies are currently involved in producing nuclear weapons. Many companies are making billions of dollars selling weapon systems to dictators around the world, for example, Saudi Arabia. Just to name a few of the major weapons profiteers making many billions of dollars in the past few years, Raytheon, Northrop Grumman, Boeing, Honeywell International, Lockheed. So, uh, on this interdependence day, there are many threats. But perhaps the greatest threat to our lives and freedom now is from the illegitimate and cruel United States Supreme Court majority. Their membership was cynically manipulated and created by Mitch McConnell. He did not allow Merrick Garland to be considered here before Obama left office and he forced Amy Coney Barrett in, as a Supreme Court judge just a week before elections. So the recent abolition of, of Roe and the attack on women's reproductive rights, it's about power, not life, and portends an attempted anti-democratic takeover of our country in progress. This ruling will lead to the death and damage of many, many, many women. But the end of Roe is not only a, wo a woman's issue. All of us are involved. The court has explicitly, or members of the court have explicitly threatened to outlaw all contraception and to outlaw same-sex marriage. After that, they may well outlaw all LGBT people and outlaw interracial marriage. The whole right to privacy is severely in danger as this court seeks control over our bodies and our bedrooms. Our basic social safety net is in danger. This was something that was created developed a lot of it by Franklin Roosevelt during the Depression and the New Deal, but it was part of the promise of liberty and justice for all and of the Declaration of Independence. So to privilege the rights of the fetus is just bizarre. If this was truly pro-life, as they call themselves, there would be measures for good child care to protect those newborn. There would be good health care for mothers and children. And also, there would be good public education for post-fetus children. What about pro-life people caring for the rights to right to life of endangered species in the midst of 
a mass extinction. Why are they not talking about protecting the life of our planet? In fact, this court is attacking all these lies. Hypocrisy is immense. Certainly this ruling will most deeply injure black, Hispanic, indigenous women, and all those without the means to travel to other states where abortion is allowed. Those who control our government are also enacting massive voter suppression around the world, around the country, and, and that, that will affect the whole world. Supreme Court is also part of this. They're also working to obliterate the right to study our country's history, to even know about slavery, the history of slavery and racism. So in addition to abolishing the Roe v. Wade precedent, our supremely lawless court has enhanced our climate catastrophes this last Thursday by severely limiting the Environmental Protection Agency and their ability to place carbon emission caps on fossil fuel power plants. Wildfires, hurricanes, floods are spreading around the world and the United States Supreme Court is trying to enforce that we not do anything to limit fossil fuel. Justice Elena Kagan slammed the decision in a minority dissent, quote, whatever else this court may know about, it does not know, it does not have a clue about how to address climate change. The court appoints itself instead of Congress or the expert agency to the decision maker on climate policy. I cannot think of many things more frightening, unquote. New York Congressman Jamal Bowman said, quote, this is yet another vicious power grab. If we let them get away with it, people will die. Because of the reasoning used by the justices in this climate ruling, this ruling could potentially undermine all kinds of regulations that are about saving lives and promoting well-being. All government regulation and regulatory processes are at severe risk now. This ruling comes at a time when climate scientists are urging rich nations to significantly cut down greenhouse gas emissions and divest from fossil fuels. And we have the technology to use alternative energies like solar and wind and take care of our energy needs. This decision not only impacts the United States, but it will reverberate around the world. The fossil fuel industry has studied and fully understood since the 1970s how their business model is creating climate breakdown. 
But instead of adjusting and responding to that, fossil fuel industry has spent many millions of dollars more working to produce this ruling. to attack any kind of alternate energy. This Supreme Court as the siren passes us, it's an ambulance. Hope is not going to the victim of gun violence because the Supreme Court is also increasing gun violence with rulings to allow everyone to freely carry any weapon they wish. They're working toward everyone having the right to carry assault rifles. The rulings have said this. Perhaps most seriously, next term, the Supreme Court are likely to rule that state legislatures can decide the winner of presidential elections and pick the electoral electors for their state, disregarding the popular vote. This is a case that's coming up next October in front of this Supreme Court. So I speak of this not to talk about quote-unquote politics, but to talk about what is the reality of removing suffering and promoting joy in our world. This is in accord with Bodhisattva vows we will chant later. This all involves social ethical issues in our world, which are applications of our bodhisattva precepts. If we're truly concerned about diversity, we must respond to racist policies spreading. We may respond in various ways, as each of us sees fit. I'm not here to promote any particular tactic or strategy, but to inform and to encourage all of us to share this awareness. But we, we might join demonstrations. We might con contact our Congress people. And it's very important to vote as long as that right remains. And at least to name only in the midterm elections and see how they count the votes. Just speaking out strongly about all this to government officials and to the media and to our friends and family members when possible keeps all of it in awareness. And awareness itself is transformative. This is not over. We're in a very dangerous situation on this interdependence day. But we can respond. We can change. We need to persist in working for justice and basic decency. This is the critical ethical issue now.
interdependence means we are all connected. Everyone throughout the country, everyone throughout the world, and not just human beings, the birds who are singing outside the window here at Ebenezer Church, we're connected. Our actions and speech can change the current situation. We can express awakening visions of kindness, of cooperation, of universal healing, of true peace. This world does not need to be this way. Humans can cooperate and recognize our interconnectedness and encourage kindness, give wholeness, healing, and peace. It's a lie that all humans have to have wars. That's our history. But in prehistory, anthropologists and archaeologists are discovering that there was a time when wars were not necessary for human beings. So for bodhisattva practitioners, for all of us, right now is the very best time to be alive. As dangerous as it is, because our actions in body, speech, and mind can make the biggest, most consequential difference now. We are most needed now. We're not alone. What we do can make, will make a difference. What we say will make a difference. We don't necessarily know the outcomes. But our efforts are acts of kindness, our response to the threat of total control by government and by the Supreme Court, our response will make a difference. And we're not alone. There are massive protests around the country now against the Supreme Court ruling on Roe. Uh, as more of these rulings come out, ruling against the climate this Thursday and more, people all over the country and all over the world are speaking out. So how may we help to transform the hatred and cruelty now prevailing in our society? Hatred doesn't end by more hatred. We need to remember interconnectedness and not make some people into others. We have to not make into others people from different races or different countries or different religions. They are not other. We are all deeply interconnected. 
LGBT people are not other, they're connected. Women are not other, despite the Supreme Court's majority's proclamation of that effect. Even the cruel politicians and judges are not other. I hope they may be disarmed from their power and their spreading of cruelty. But their attitudes are warnings about our own misguided tendencies. This Ebenezer Church Zendo is wonderful, especially with all the windows open, because we can hear the sirens, fire trucks, and the ambulances going to try to help and respond to people who are suffering. So as I was saying, even the cool politicians and judges causing so much harm are not other. They're warnings to each of us to look at our own tendencies towards seeing separation, towards seeing some people as other, trying to control everything, try and exert our power to force our views on others. May we practice with our own anger to transform our anger into clear seeing, transform our anger into determination to look for ways to be helpful. We may skillfully employ our own hurt and anger to work for contexts that go beyond hatred. There's so much negativity in our world now, and we can't just cover it over with some happy smile. We can't use our zazen to run away from it. Our zazen gives us awareness of other possibilities, of connection, of kindness, of wholeness, of being ourselves. But we also must face the challenges of the world, the challenges to our own lives. This also applies, all of this also applies to our personal karmic issues. Each of us has our own situations of separation, of hatred, of damage. within our circles of friends and family. How can we transform this situation, these situations? How can we enact personal transformation? 
Because of this interdependence, we are able to study the self, as Dogen recommends. To receive Sangha support to study the self. That's what we're all doing here this morning, whether we're here at Ebenezer Church or online. We can become intimate with the self to see our own patterns of making some people into others of aversion, not turning it into hatred, to not be caught by our patterns, by our attachments, and our patterns of reactivity. All of this is the personal side of what I've been talking about, about Independence Day. It supplies to all the damages now in our country, but also to our own hurt, our own anger, our own confusion. We do not know the outcomes of our practice and of our work to benefit beings. The outcomes are not set as much as Mitch McConnell and the Supreme Court might want to think they could control them. We can apply our Bodhisattva vow to respond appropriately as we see that each see best, help spread kindness in our world. And as I've said before, kindness doesn't mean just being nice and, and excusing the damage that some people are causing. We can address it without without making them into others. So we all have a lot of work, but again, as another siren goes to respond to people in trouble, again, we can express our deepest wholeness. We can work for kindness and healing, and we can address all of the damages being done. So maybe I've said enough. That's a lot to cover. But I felt the need to say this. I felt obliged to say, to talk about all this on Fourth of July weekend on Independence and Interdependence Day. So, um, I'm interested in hearing your comments or questions. David Ray, would you please uh, let me know if there are people on our Zoom room who have comments or questions or anybody here at Ebenezer? Just raise your hand. Ronson, you could use the raise hand function or just just raise your your own hand if you're visible on the screen. Yes, Eve. Can you speak more loudly, please, so um, the Zoom people can hear you? Yeah. 
Could you say more about awareness um, and being transformative? Yes. Yes. Uh, if we were not aware of what the Supreme Court was doing, we could not respond to it. We could not change it. For example, just to be aware of these particular societal issues, but also to be aware of our own responses, to be aware of the people around us, to be aware of the of the fear and, and suffering of those who want to try and control the world and want to try and, and uh, you know, protect white lives only. Where's, what's their fear? So to be aware means to be, is just a whole realm of awareness. We have to be aware of what is happening in our country. To uh, I, many of you I know ration your <laughs> news watching, and it's, sometimes it's it's a, it's a lot to take in, and so it's okay to to ration it in so that you can take care of yourself. But we need to stay aware of the things that are happening to, in some way and respond, and also aware of our own feelings. Our own anger, our own hurt, our own fear. How do we not let that get in the way of responding wholesomely, helpfully, when we see some way to respond? And there's lots to respond to. So just to be aware changes the whole situation. Other comments or questions, please? Hi, Brian. Morning. Thank you for an excellent and comprehensive talk. Um, <clears throat> some things that brought to my mind. Uh, one of my practices I does for a long time derives from the Heart Sutra. I try to focus based on what he was saying about awareness in the response. So, one of the things that we, we try to do. Uh, most in the Dharma is focused on being aware of our minds. And in the Heart Sutra, it, it lists, Alokiteshvara says, you know, uh, became uh, clearly aware of the emptiness of the skandhas. Well, one of the skandhas is perception. And so how I use that is when I notice that I'm reifying in my mind the current situation as if it's some very heavy, dark, monolithic thing, which I'm not denying that there are a lot of dark forces, but when one allows that perception to fill one's entire mind, I think that it can be very unmotivating and, and depressive, I think, for a lot of people. And unfortunately, I think that reification uh, of perception of the current situation can demotivate enough people that maybe they don't do those actions that you recommended. And so I think a very useful thing to do is to always watch your mind for how it's creating a, a solidifying of, of current events or a certain event as, you know, ultimate uh, 
doom that we, you know, that, that's insurmountable or that feeling that's created. Right. And so with using the emptiness to sort of poke holes into that and to take a look at it from different sides, you start to see that there's a lot of things that can be done, a lot of people uh, that are trying to do these things. Um, and one excellent thing I'm always reminded of, stemming back to 9-11, uh, we all know that the towers came down due to the planes, and it seemed like evil was winning and evil was everywhere. And there was an essay written by Stephen Jay Gould, a Harvard, Harvard paleontologist called The Time of Gifts, in which he highlighted this phenomenon. He said that evil always gets the headlines, and therefore it creates a perception in us that evil is everywhere and that it's winning. And yet, if we redirect our attention and our awareness to the surrounding scene, you're always going to see helpers. You're always going to see thousands upon thousands of people who never make the headlines who are doing good things to help. Firemen that drove across multiple state lines to help out at Ground Zero, etc. People bringing food and water to Ground Zero, etc. Um, right. so, so that's to, to reiterate and, and emphasize what you were saying that it's it's really not a time to be depressed as much as a, a time for a call to action. Whatever we can do, even if it's in a conversation in a coffee shop, to to slightly change someone's mind about something, you never know the ripple effect that that's going to have. Right, right. So thank you, Brian. Uh, two things. I want to respond. I want to respond to what you were saying about change and not being overcome by the difficulties of the situation. But first, I just wanted to mention, you said in the beginning of what you said that uh, Buddhism is about uh, the mind. Uh, uh, so let me, my let me, intention let me, was that, that one of our main... Yeah, let, let me respond. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I just want to point out that Buddhism is about body, speech, and mind. So uh, Zazen is something we do physically. This is a physical practice. It's not just, It's not intellectual. It's not about uh, thoughts or ideas. It's a physical practice of sitting upright, being upright, breathing, sitting like Buddha, allowing the Buddha in our body mind to respond. And, and also speech is important too. How do we talk about situation so that's what we're doing now uh, so uh, but I but I take what you were saying to emphasize how our mind can uh, cause us to be paralyzed and so to respond to most of what you were talking about I very much agree and I talk about this change happens this is a very dark time. There have been previous dark times. Change happens. The Supreme Court may be trying to over, overthrow this, but gay marriage was legalized by a previous Supreme Court, for example. Apartheid was ended in South Africa, for example. The Soviet Union collapsed and the Berlin Wall came down when experts on these situations would not have imagined it just a month before. So, there is change. The colonies revolted and 
but not but no longer part of Great Britain. So there are many examples. Change happens. It's not realistic to feel like there's nothing we can do. What we do change helps to change things. Many, many, many things over many years went into, uh, for example, women being allowed to vote, which didn't happen until you know, the early 20th century. But that was a result of decades and decades of women calling for the right to vote. The Voting Rights Act of 1965 was a product of the civil rights movement and many people over many years working for justice. So yes, Brian, it's change is possible. It's important to remember that, so thank you. It's, uh, it was the outcome of our practice and our efforts and our work and of, all, and of the Supreme Court's I don't know what to say. Damages, villainy, charting. Um, the outcomes of all that are not set. It's change. Pendulum swing. And that only happens when we work at it. And now uh, women and men all around the country are out in the streets protesting. And that needs to continue. And, and such protests need to continue about Roe v. Wade, but also about the Supreme Court trying to destroy our climate, about the Supreme Court and some politicians trying to destroy democracy. If we if we just feel hopeless and give up, that helps them. Silence is complicity. So thank you, Bryant. Yes, uh, there is a lot we can do and there's a lot we need to do. Other comments or questions? Anybody on Zoom, David? Not at the moment. Um, okay. Jan? I wanted to bring up three incidents. Uh, Joanna Macy and her colleague, whose name... Excuse me. Can, Eve, can you hear her back there? Okay. Yeah, yeah please speak. Uh, Joanna Macy and her colleague were on Zoom for, I believe it was two hours um, I believe it was the 20th of June. Uh, I'm not sure of the day, but I was there for two hours. And I heard part of it. It was and, great. And she, uh, she said, aren't we lucky to be alive at this time in history? Yes. When, when <laughs> I'm just thinking, we were, you know... Um, the Chinese curse, may you be born in interesting times, which I thought was a curse, but she uh, turned it around to say, we're very lucky to be alive when all this is happening. That was the first thing I wanted to bring up. And just to say, yes, and for Bodhisattvas, this is the very, very best time to be alive. Mm -hmm. This is the time when our, when our practice can make the most difference to the world. Yes, continue, Jane. And, um, I'm trying to think of the second one I was going to bring up. Oh, I'm, I'll regret not being able to remember it right now. Come back to it. But Okay, but the third one I wanted to talk about was one day uh, I, I had a little boy about seven or eight years old. Um, uh, he was my son, and we were going downtown together on the L train. I hope I haven't told this too many times. I haven't heard it. Okay, we were going past 
that apartment houses that are, you know, that face on the L. And I was just thinking to myself, I'm so glad I don't live here. This train goes by, you know, every five, ten minutes, all day long. And my son said to me, aren't these people lucky, Mama? They get to see the train every day. (laughs) (laughs) It just made me laugh so much because it was diametrically opposed to the way I was responding to going past these places. And um, I've forgotten the second one. Okay. Uh, When it it comes back to you, let us know. So anybody on Zoom with comments or questions? No, but I have have a question. David Ray, yes. Um, I wonder if you would say more about uh, Bodhisattva action and activism. You talked about working with anger in regards to producing clarity of perception. At the same time, it seems that opposition requires action that, how can I say it? There's to be hand-handed. There's to, there's to do the strategic thing that, that, that might produce a, a result in, in, in the world. And, and it seems that, there, that this might be a moment for that. Yeah. Strong action, opposition to cruelty does not require hatred. Our, our precept says, do not harbor ill will. Do not turn anger into hatred. So I have to say, I don't hate Mitch McConnell, despite all of the damage that he's introduced to our country. I don't hate him personally. I don't know him. I've never met him. I don't know Kathy Caesar, Caesar Seminar from Kentucky. I don't know if you've ever met him. Not but I know people who have. Uh-huh. So Kathy knows people who know. <laughs> so we can oppose the actions of people. We can oppose the policies of this horrible current Supreme Court, or at least the majority of them. There's good people in the minority. Anyway, we can oppose policies. We can oppose actions without anger or hatred. I used to be a, a well, I, I was a, my political activism goes back to the 60s and the Vietnam War and civil rights. And, you know, I went, I've gone to many demonstrations where there were very angry chants and I just stayed quiet during those. Um, we don't have to buy into anger in order to oppose um, the persecution of women. Persecution of LGBT people, persecution of blacks and other minorities. We can act to help people without without hatred. That's difficult, you know, because uh, I confess I'm angry about what the Supreme Court's doing. So I acknowledge uh, all my ancient twisted karma. From beginningless greed, hate, delusion, what your body, speech, and mind are now fully about. I am angry. But anger itself is not counter to the bodhisattva work. It's what we do with it. Do we turn it into hatred and trying to harm others before they harm us or whatever? Um, Or do we use that energy, tremendous energy in anger, 
to see clearly what is going on, what are the dynamics that are at work, and also to commit ourselves to trying to respond. That energy of anger can be a tremendous incentive to look to see how to be helpful in the situation. So, you know, that kind of opposition to cruelty uh, requires, you know, it's supported by our practice. Sitting zazen, sometimes for days at a time or for many minutes at a time, gives us uh, some possibility of steadiness, calm, seeing clearly. Not that this happens automatically, but we can be present to body, speech, and mind. It's not just it's not just our th- thinking. It's also you know those that anger of energy of anger and so forth. It's physical. So part of the studying the self is to see when we feel some anger. Where is it in our body? Is it in our shoulders? Elbows, thighs, belly, back. Feel it. Feel what you feel. I haven't, I used to recommend as a mantra and a koan um, a line from my favorite poet who says, How does it feel? So feel what you feel. Feelings themselves are not bad. What do we do with them? How do we see them? How do we not be caught by them? How does it feel? So I've recommended that as a mantra. So that's not just that's not just intellectual. That's physical. Yes, Kathy. I I just wanted to follow up on Brian's comment. Uh, a louder, please. I wanted to follow up on Brian's comment uh, and the the interest you know, being expressed here. Um, start. It, what's happened, I think, it is I have felt sort of shut down. And I, I've talked to other people who are experiencing the same thing. It's so much that you kind of feel overwhelmed by it. And uh, it does make me think, how do you shift out of that? And... Uh, I resonated with what you were saying, Brian. I feel like it takes us examining closely how we got into this situation. Yes. I do think it's strategic, and I think it was more than just one third. And I think that it was mental. And I think that um, we do have some good minds out there who are attempting to counter this. You know, I think of Stacey Abrams. Um, I think of her as somebody who has assessed and found some ways to counter gerrymandering. Um, I also think of her when I think of what can I do because <coughs> you can, she offers ways to volunteer or to, you know, it's like what she's doing, I think, is important in terms of trying to shift stop it. And so I guess the other thing is I 
value Jane Goodall in that she looks at honestly at a lot of the devastation that's happened to the environment. But she's also talking about uh, in, in a book that she wrote, uh, people who are making attempts to counter that. Yes. Efforts that have been successful in making some new turns. It certainly has not stopped the climate damage, but maybe it has slowed it down. But looking at those those projects um, give us a clue as to where should we put it up. So, uh, getting a hold of some of that. For me, I think Sierra Club is a good uh, lobbyist in terms of protecting the environment. I'm sorry, I missed that. I heard that Sierra Club. The Sierra Club, yes, they do good work. Lobbyists. So therefore, I want to support them. I do support them, and uh, they—I wrote letters for them to try and get Biden elected. And I do think those those grassroots efforts make a difference. You yes. Know, when I took these letters to the post office, I encountered two other women carrying bags of letters from different organizations, and got elected, not because three of us write much, but because there was a grassroots movement. And I think those things are important to look at and figure out where do we put our energy where it can be the most strategic. Well, those are just some of my thoughts to counter the line of heaviness. Thank you so much, Kathy. Yes, there is a great danger of feeling overwhelmed, of shutting down, But Sazen and Bodhisattva practice is about staying open and aware. And yes, there are many examples, many examples of people who are doing really effective, helpful work. Sierra Club's one, and so like Greenpeace, and I could go on about organizations that are doing good things for the environment, for freedom, ACLU. I also wanted to mention, going back to what Brian was saying about 9-11, uh, there's a book by a wonderful writer named Rebecca Solnit, who's also a Zen practitioner and who has spoken at Ancient Dragon, talking of, look, go to the podcast and write in Rebecca Solnit, and you'll, you'll find her in, in the top, and you can find her talks. Um, she um, wrote one of her books, I can't remember the title, but it was about... Um, when there are calamities, hurricanes, earthquakes, and how people band together and help. This is a natural impulse, and it happens. 9-11 was one example, but there met Katrina was another. She talks about, she goes back and talks about the, um, the earth in 1908, was it San Francisco earthquake, there, and his other historical examples. When there, when there are big problems, people respond. And as Kathy was saying, we can find uh, groups that are we that look like they are doing good work to help respond to to dangers around and then um, and, and and support them and work with them. Bo did you have your hand up? Yeah just piggyback on that like I feel like we're lucky to live in Chicago in a way too, because there's so much good 
work being done in the city. And I was reminded of that this week. I was at a anti-racist um, education conference workshop at UIC, actually. And there was a presentation by uh, this group of young people uh, from the south and west side, um, our sides. And one example is uh, this group of, they were, I think, fifth graders um, from the Leadership Village Academy, which is a independent elementary school that has, as part of their curriculum, that kids participate in, well, design, develop their own grassroots campaigns. Now, this, um, this group of fifth graders, Douglas Park is in their, the neighborhood of their school, and they had always assumed that the Douglas of Douglas Park was uh, Frederick Douglas, but it was actually Stephen Douglas. And so they did all this research, and they found that Stephen Douglas was a slaveholder. And then over the course of, and it was years, right? I think we think the stereotype of kids is that they don't have attention spans, but these kids stuck with this campaign for like three or four years, I think. So even past when they were in fifth grade, obviously, and I think to the point where some of them were in high school at that point. But they also altered, so their their goal was to change the name of the park from Douglas Park for Stephen to Douglas Park for Frederick. And to add the S, that was the thing, was Douglas with two S's. But then they were doing research and they found that Frederick Douglass's wife was a major, major sort of, obviously, but it's under kind of, um, it's, it's not as well known that his wife, Anna, I think, was uh, such an influential political uh, person in his life. So then they switched the campaign to naming it after Anna and Frederick Douglass Park. Cool. And <laughs> after all these years of presenting to the Cook County or the park district and being ignored, you know, there's video of these park district commissioners being like, you guys are cute, literally, for coming. <laughs> but they won. Um, and so this kind of stuff is happening. And it was a good reminder for me, too, that um, these kids, and that's not meant pejoratively, it's just these young people are out here, here, like doing a lot of cool, interesting, fearless, you know, despite being black in the city of Chicago, um, work. And so, I don't know, it's just, we don't have to, and Tygen, you reminded me of this a lot of times, we don't have to go and reinvent the wheel. There's so much work that you can just plug, it exists right now, that you can plug into support in any variety of ways. Um, so, that's just to kind of add to what it, you know, it's been already said about uh, how to help. Thank you very much, bro. That's a wonderful example. Huh. But when you mentioned fifth graders, I'm sorry, I couldn't help but think of the fourth graders who were yeah. massacred mm. involved in Texas, thanks to these politicians who want to allow 18-year-olds to have assault rifles. Anyway, there's lots of, but young people are doing a lot of good because young people know that their future and, and I, by young people, I'm including some of you here, <laughs> uh, know that their futures are, are determined by 
what happens to the climate, and what happens to the U.S. government system, and so forth. So, uh, yeah, as an elder person, I look to the young for inspiration. <laughs> Do you have a comment, Dylan? Um, <clears throat> I have two. Um, one's on Angels in America, and one's on uh, the guidepost of silent illumination. Uh, so I watched uh, my uh, my my roommate is going through a, a difficult time right now, so we we watched uh, Angels in America together. Uh, which is a Tony Kushner play, but there's an HBO version with Meryl Streep and Al Pacino that's uh, unbelievable and really, really great. Um, but it, uh, that, that play demonstrates the transformative potential of art in, in how we are able to imagine ourselves not only as interconnected, but as uh, as complex beings that are capable of harming each other while still um, being beings that are worth care and love. Um, it's amazing. There's, because there are many of the protagonists uh, in that play, you realize, are doing things that, that you know, uh, are really harmful. Um, abandoning their partner. Uh, when they're uh, uh, dying of AIDS, uh, helping to write decisions that are oppressive, um, among other examples I could give. But these, or or being the, the real life uh, lawyer Roy Cohen is in is in the play as a character, um, and who uh, who's responsible for a lot of very horrific and oppressive decisions. Um, but you also see the play does a great job of showing you why it's worth it, why, why you still care about them as people um, and, uh, and how, how they are attempting to express love for each other in the ways that they know how um, and that that's, that's our lives, that that's, that's, that's the truth. It's, like that, it's not that like, oh, all the good people are over here and all the bad people are over here and just be on the good team, and, you know. Um, that's that's what we're all trying to do, you know. Um, and uh, and so I try to keep that in mind with like my interactions with anybody, that, like not to write anybody off or that anybody's, you know, beyond uh, caring about. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like they have a they have a uh, when when Roy Cohn dies in the play. They do a Jewish blessing for him, um, and like, and, uh, and and that play's been done. I don't know how many times, you know, but like, so he's gotten that blessing done for him thousands and thousands and thousands of times now, you know, despite all the horrible things he did. Um, so just that to accent that point about it's not it's about taking care of the actions that we do and not about writing people off as bad people. Um, uh, and um, the other point I wanted to make was uh, about uh, the guidepost of sound illumination. But I think the last line is transmitted to all directions without desiring to gain credit. And I was thinking about that line while you're talking, Tiger, because 
when we're doing this work of trying to be part of the transformative process of healing the country or healing the world or healing our community or the city, that um, part of what's part of the letting go of that work, I believe, is that you have to be able to accept letting go of being aware that it actually worked or that it's finished or that someone's going to thank you for it or someone's going to say, wow, you, you know, thanks to you, this happened, you know, really. And that, and that like, and that, so that's part of the challenge of doing the work is that, that it's important to, and I, and I think this, this talk helped me understand that line, transmitted to all the directions of desire to get credit to, because it's, it's not possible to, um, we still, it's still time to do that work, even when you can't know if it's done or if someone's going to thank you or if you're going to feel good about it or if you feel like it's going to be enough, you know, that like part of the, I believe, part of the process of doing that good work is being willing to persistently do it without trying to, without, without, and do it without um, knowing that no one may ever, no one may ever know about it. And that there's lots of heroes that we never, we don't know about that, you know, we're saving lives in prisoner camps and all that, you know? So, uh, uh, that, that line kind of opened up for me, that, like, you know, without desire to gain credit is to help teach us to just, uh, to do that work without trying to, uh, without knowing that we might not, we, uh, we might not know that it, Worked, quote unquote, but to still keep going. Thank you, Dawn. Um, yeah, the other and the other side of that is that people have worked very hard for many years and and helped produce some significant change and never saw it. All the generations of people who worked for abolition of slavery and didn't see that happen. All the women who who marched in, in suffragette marches trying to get women the right to vote. Now, uh, women have the right to vote. The Supreme Court's going to try and abolish that too. But, um, but, the, but all, you know, you don't necessarily see positive results of, of the work we make. So thank you, Doma. I want to just check um, if there's anybody on Zoom who has any comments. Is there anybody on Zoom who's from outside Illinois or Chicago? Okay. Uh, thank you all. Oh, Jan, did you remember the other thing? I, I remembered something. I'm not sure it's the same thing. But I read a story at Katrina where there's some people, uh, two guys that lived, you know, a couple of states away. And the minute that Katrina hit, they made plans to go. And they decided that they would be able to do something. They didn't know what. They just got in their car and went out there to see what they could do to help. I don't know who they were. Anyway, that's what I do remember. Yeah, I think there were numbers of people who responded to Hurricane Katrina that way. Numbers of people who have responded to other disasters. And now many people who are responding to the actions of this horrible Supreme Court all over the country. And, you know, the other thing that Dylan was saying is 
not to give up on anybody. There are all kinds of stories of people transform people who've done terrible things at Boy Cone. And then but then you know, maybe all the all of the uh, lessons for him and all those versions of angels in America have helped mitigate this karma. It's included, included uh, mentoring Donald Trump anyway. Uh, there's so many examples of transformation. I've, I've talked about this, but do you all know who Angulimala is? No? Angulimala was, a, a, was one of the Buddha's main disciples. Uh, he, was, he became an arhat, a, a personally fully enlightened one. But his name comes from his record as a serial killer. Uh, he he had a he had a mala uh, deeds that were made up of fingers, one finger each of his victims. And as he was about to to kill his hundredth person, he saw the Buddha, and um, went to go after the Buddha to get another finger, and the Buddha. And he said to the Buddha, stop. The Buddha turned around and said, so no, you stop. And he did, and he became a, a monk. So that's one example. You know, there's many examples. Uh, do, do any of you know the song Amazing Grace? That was written by a ship captain who was, who was responsible for bringing many slaves, many people, Africans to America to, into slavery. And he was transformed. He felt saved, the much like him. So, yes, Dylan, thank you. Not to be up with anything. Okay. Um, any uh, any other comments, responses? Yeah, based on that, I remember reading an incident between John Dinolori, who was uh, in New York at a Zen temple, I knew him, yeah. and one of his Sangha members who came to him complaining of another Sangha member that, about that other person's behavior, etc. And John Dinolori's response was, in our Bodhisattva vow, we vow to save all beings. Isn't this person all also among all beings? And so that idea of inclusiveness in our efforts to not see, again, another, but to see them as potentially changeable through compassion. Thank you. Yes. Um, there are numbers of stories in Zen lore about, about this. So, thank you. <laughs>